Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with Privacy Mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course, present my thoughts the way I want. Right again! Now, you're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh, there it is! Drawing board or... Miro! Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's won. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro Brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Alan Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is uh, returning to the seat is Mark Brown. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. Um, oh, the, uh, the cold Pinot is okay. It's, uh, it's very refreshing, actually. <laughs> you can get away with... Pinot oh. being cold, not the reds, but... No, absolutely, and I tell you, in, in, in this weather, you don't want any room mm. temperature, do you? You want... Not really, no. It wouldn't, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work. So, we've not come here to do odd bins, wine <laughs> selection, although it is Aldi, actually. Um, it's better. Uh, we've here to talk about your film, Guardians. And indeed. Which you uh, you wrote and directed. Uh, so let's before we go into the details of that, do you want to give people a brief synopsis to what Guardians is? I'll do my best. Uh, you know, being a writer, <laughs> it means I'm not very good. Yeah. Write me a synopsis. At being brief. <laughs> yeah, I get other people to do it. I generally do because I'm like I can't I can't be brief. I'm like I have to include every single bit. So I'll try and remember my my favorite version of it, which is I think it's um, two disparate men uh, thrown together in. Um, to, to guard a 200-year-old um, townhouse in the east end of London. Um, and uh, they don't get on. And that kind of becomes secondary to their motives, though, when uh, the house kind of comes under attack from what could be anything from ghosts or gangsters or builders, politicians, sex pervs, and uh, samurais. So, so it's, it's, it's a comedy, then? Mm-hmm. Oh, very much so. Very much so. Yeah, with a with a with a with a nod to a, a sort of black sense of humour, I suppose. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I can't write, I can't write light. <laughs> don't think it's not it's not where my sensibilities go. Um, yeah, it's, it's a dark comedy um, with a couple of horror elements, more thriller really mm. though. So I kind of usually the the uh, the elevator kind of 
thing is uh, with Neil and I crossed with Panic Room. Okay. Oh, you'd be surprised how many people have never heard of Panic Room. Which, really? it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Because that's a brilliant film. And um, so, it kind of ruins me when they, when they go, what's Panic Room? I've, I've, I've pitched Wicker Man and Favelas to people who don't know what Wicker Man is. So that, 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 that often falls flat, I said. <laughs> they know what Favelas are, but not Wicker Man. <laughs> so. What kind of crazy world is that? <laughs> um, so, let's start at the beginning, the writing side of it. Um, what... Where do you get the idea of people that mind houses for starters? Is that something that you knew existed, or yeah. you invented for the film? Yeah, no, it's um, it's a real thing, um, mainly in in big cities and stuff, where there, and particularly in London, where there is a huge amount of abandoned, not abandoned, but like uninhabited, dormant houses. Dormant, that's a good word. Dormant houses, and usually large houses that um, squatters probably like to uh, try and take possession of. And so, there's several companies out there that um, one one of them it has a sign over my road over the over the road from my house actually, Live In Guardians. That's, that's the name oh, of the company. Okay. And um, there's another one called Ad Hoc, um, which is the one that was actually the inspiration because it's, it's a friend of mine's friend who runs it, and he employs mostly kind of actors and stuff to live in these houses as sort of low rent security hugely underqualified people to uh, keep squatters out and uh, so basically it's making a house look lived in or be lived in literally so people don't yeah. see it as being yeah, squatted people getting cheap rent or to live there for free and they've just got to kind of maintain the house a bit and um, I'm guessing the tenancy agreement's not quite like a normal tenancy agreement is it? no it's usually very much a short term thing it usually doesn't last much more than a few weeks so so in that with that in mind then where, where, how, um, as I understand it the you you had your location which, if you combine your knowledge of Guardians plus plus your location you had, which is, I think, is it your missus' place? Um, yeah, it's, it's it's the house that I live in. It's okay. um, no better controlled environment than the one you live in, is uh, it? No, absolutely. And and my my fiance bought it quite some time ago when the house prices were tiny. It was in, it's in the Docklands, and um, so it was like a snip. It was like n- hmm. no money because um, it was before. It was before even the DLR was kind of finished. Mm. It was before um, Limehouse Basin was. It was just a. It was just. I mean, you know, it's a building site almost. And um, so she got it for a snip, and yeah, she's been slowly sort of doing it up over the, the last. I'm going to say how long, but it's a long time. And um, yeah, so it was. It was, so it was an amazing location to have because it's 200 years old. There's so much of the original house still mm. in there. Um, she wanted to try and maintain some of it and she's an eclectic woman with her tastes um, so each each room each floor has its own real distinct personality and you see that in the film so the film's not set the film is as you live in it <clears throat> almost yeah I mean wow. it's tweaked definitely yeah. to, to suit the story more and to um, give us a bit more space and things so we there was a few things that, you know, basically anything that had my face on it or yeah, if you want more personal things, we removed and we rearranged things so to give me the camera work easier. But it pretty much as is, yeah, as is how you see it on the screen. That is pretty much it. So when you, when you, when you, as a writer, you've got your basic idea, you've got your location. How did you? What you? What are you thinking then to bring that together? You going okay? If I do an odd couple, there's there's a good start for any drama. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I, a lot of my short films that I've done well in my plays um, had been essentially two people just clashing 
in thrown some to- form. Thrown together. Yeah, you know, very much like that with Neil and I, kind of them in, them in the, the house in the lakes. And so, um, those, and, and the two actors, David and Matt, had been usually the stars in these um, plays or films. And so their Matt chemistry... Matt Aston, David Whitney. That is correct. And them their full name. Oh, do we have to? Um, <laughs> you, should, you should hear what I call them mostly. Um, so, yeah, so their chemistry was... And, and it was just there. It's always been... They've always been... That's why I've worked with them for so many times. Yeah. You know, 15 years, over over 100 pieces of work between them. Does that mean you have to write line? Do you have to literally write lines to them? Or are you saying, look, we need to be saying generally this? No, I mean, I, I write for them. Mm-hmm. And because... And it didn't always used to be that case. When I didn't know them as well, I'd write and they'd just get what I was, they'd get what I wanted and it was great and mm. they'd put their own little twist on it. And so it's slightly more collaborative now, I guess. I'll write it and then they'll go, they'll again put their little spin on it and improv, improv a few lines, say it's more suited to them a bit, I guess. Mm. But I kind of, I've known them so well, like two, two of my best friends and that I can, I can write for them with my eyes shut. So. <laughs> That's a handy skill. Well, yeah, I can't touch tightly so. Um, so when you when you were pulling this together, so how did it how did it because because like you say as you intimated in the introduction, it 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 sets us off down one road, which is it starts off as as a kind of here's here's an odd couple thrown together, they're looking after a house temporarily, and the it's it's kind of intimated, I suppose, that it's a it's there's a ghost in the house, the house is haunted, so you know be careful. Yeah. And then you begin to subvert all expectations beyond that point, I think, is safe to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's originally, I kind of, the supernatural elements of it were going to be more there. But mm. um, but really, yeah, it's kind of, I kind of wanted to just, I mean, I, can't, I, quite, I quite, like, quite like doing that. It's not, not necessarily on purpose. I guess it's just the way I like to tell a story is, you know, you set up one thing and then it goes off in a, in a random direction that you're not expecting. And um, so with this one, I, I just, the house is spooky. It's mm. a spooky house, and so it, it felt very natural to kind of play with that. I, I you know, I, when when I first moved into that place, you know, the noises and the shadows and the just the, the just the layouts of stuff, just the the kind of the way traffic went past the window outside or people. I mean, it's, forgive people the image, mental image you've not seen the film. <coughs> it's it's a Georgian house, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, what, it's two a, levels, three levels, five, five, by me, In, including the basement. So so yeah, so that house breathes, doesn't it? <laughs> Very much so, and we've got this nice, well, I say nice, it's massively overgrown and not at all well-kept garden. And so, you know, I mean, I, I remember we, Victoria, um, who's also in the film, she, and when we were, when I first moved in to the house, we moved, we moved rooms so many times, she just got bored of a room after six months, and she go, right, we're going to go and live in this room now. So we'd, I'd, I've lived in about five or six different rooms in that house. And so I know them all so intimately, and, and also because I felt like a, sort of like a new tenant every time we move rooms that I kind of, you know, you find new things and you kind of get the same feeling of moving into a new place. And so, you know, like in the basement, I, I, I remember waking up one time and seeing someone in the garden because the basement kind of backs up onto the garden you can see there's a, like a pair of doors and I saw someone in the garden and I'm pretty sure it must have been one of the neighbours just leaping over the thing to try and get into their house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it only happened that one time and I completely shit myself. Um, I went upstairs, turned all the lights on and everything, and was terrified. And um, so you know that kind of thing, and the shadows of yeah of, of like the of traffic just really throw some amazing stuff onto the onto like the frosted glass that is on our front window and all this. And it just you know just just all these bits of that I kind of 
sort of been collecting in my mind, I guess, over mm. the years. I just threw all into this film, really. Well, and, and, and Matt Prendergast's character, Carlson, is, I suppose, if anyone, he's the protagonist. I mean, it's a two-hander between him and Dave Whitney's... Yeah, it's, it's but, told from Carlson's but, point, but point Carlson's of view. But Carlson's point of view is generally what we're... Yeah. The audience is really expected to see. Yeah, it's, it's, it's his story. He's the one. Because it always feels like Lavender's got got the got the got the sorry got the head up he's ahead of him in terms of knowledge yeah but obviously the way it goes lavender doesn't know everything <laughs> yeah i mean carlson's one of the few almost normal people in the film and so it's like yeah dropping a normal person into this pool of very weird weird people mm. and situations and um and with lavender he's He's already weird. He's already a bit strange, but he is also slightly alien to the situation as well because he's there as a guardian. So, you know, he's, he's just a consummate bullshit artist, really, who uh, tries to, I suppose, invent his own life as it goes along. Yeah, because because Carlson's basically trying to get over a broken relationship, so he's basically just this is just literally a stopgap while he, yeah he gets his shit together and composes himself. Whereas Lavender. It seems has just literally made a career out of this because he can live in grand houses and be grand. Yeah, whether absolutely. he is or not is is neither here nor there, is it? Yeah, absolutely. And and I've met people like I sort of do that. You know, they they, they realise that there's either no rent or, or or very little rent, and they get to live in these massive posh houses, and essentially live the life of a of a, a mildly destitute lord, mm. I guess. And and I also I've you know combined a lot of characters from my personal experience, you know people who just make up shit about their lives, some people who kind of embellish their lives to the point of almost you know just compulsion compulsive lie. My dad worked with a guy called um, what was he called now Billy Pepper, and that then became the word for a liar in our house. <laughs> Billy Billy Pepper used to. Um, told him at work one time that and this is like working in St Helens so we're not talking like he's, he's meeting at the dock in, in Peru or something and he tells the story of the time he got stuck on the River Amazon where he had to reverse his boat all the way up it because he couldn't turn it round <laughs> and you're like at what point do you believe anyone believes that, you that but... little stream <laughs> yeah that, that miles wide river that you couldn't turn your boat round yeah, but yeah it. it's it's yeah a deluded person is 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 convincing because they're not lying, are they? They're just they're telling a truth, and they maintain as yeah. well. I mean, I've got a friend who hopefully won't listen to this because you probably think you probably realise it's about him. But at the same time, I don't think he knows he's lying all the time, and mm. he'll tell you something about his life mm. involving you. Yeah, and it, it, it's the strangest thing of like someone telling you what you did or what they think you did to your face when you know for a hundred percent fact that you never did that, mm. and you realise. That, like they're just they're making it up and they're lying and they're but not not unlike maliciously or not like for any personal gain it's just to just, they just think that's probably what happened and it's just it's it's a weird compulsion from some for some people and I find it utterly utterly bizarre and I've, ne- I've never called them out on it I've never called them out on it because I'm it used to be the case where I just go did I do that we had a poor kid at school who got nicknamed bully as in bullshit bullseye <laughs> and yeah unfortunately. As children, we were, t- we were terrors, and whenever you come out of the corridor, you go, Well, don't be a liar. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's but yeah, but, Lav- but that makes La- but that makes for a good character because in a way, you you can have you have fun with Lavender because while he's a mystery to Carlson, it's entertaining, isn't it? Because in that instance, it's like suddenly 
we are all bemused at what Lavin is whittling on about because all the presumptions of grandeur, we're kind of going, but you're in a... <laughs> exactly. You're yeah. in a house that's got people working downstairs. We know you're a guardian, so why are you talking about your father, the Lord? Exactly. No, and and it's it's if, if you hang out in Soho, in weird late after hours bars and stuff, and you you get all these stories of of people's lives and how they were somebody or how they knew somebody or how they're all related to somebody, and it's usually just to try and make themselves more interesting, and so you'll buy them a drink. And you know, I mean, I've done that myself in some ways. I've not lied. But you, you realise that you're in a conversation and someone's enjoying it and they want to, and they, they, they buy you a drink so they can continue the conversation. And so I'm not the type of person to just take advantage of that situation because I'm not mm. that good a conversationalist. But I just thought it was interesting that a person just who, who kind of realised I can get free drinks because I can make stuff up mm. that would go and do that and it would, get, it would, it would ultimately get him in trouble though because eventually you're, you're going to do one lie too many it's going to get you in the shit. What was the, um, what's, what's your approach to, to developing a screenplay? So if you've got, you've got the core idea, you've got the guardians, you've got your, um, <coughs> you've got your location, you've got your two characters, is that all set? And then you go, okay, with this story in particular, not necessarily all the time, but in terms of how you then, do you, do you, do you outline, do you go, okay, let's just write this because I know where it's going. What was, what, how did, was it, what was the genesis of this as a, as a feature length film. With Guardians, I did do an actual outline. It was only only like a vague one. Yeah. Because uh, I don't usually do them that much. I kind of give myself like a half page sometimes. Mm. I think this one was like two pages. And it kind of just pretty much went through the, the plot. And because I wanted to do it quickly. Because I knew before I'd even written the scripts, we'd set aside the 10 days that all of us could do. The actors, the DOP produce it and then we'd set aside the 10 days so I knew how much time I had to get a script ready mm. and also to do pre-production and everything and, and I knew that you know most of it was going to be me and Fred Fournier for, for, for everything and so I did so I did kind of plan out the story pretty much beat by beat beforehand mm. and it was it was actually really easy in this case because I knew what, what in the house I wanted to use and I knew I just knew the character. I knew the character. I knew, and and I kind of, you know, it just, it just, I don't know, it just all really, it was quite, it was quite, it was probably the easiest thing I've ever written. Well, with it, with all right. So with with the with the writing and the pre-production in mind, how do you maintain your writer's imagination while knowing a what you're writing for, i.e., the restrict constraints of the location and the constraints because no film's got infinite money. So imagination plus the pragmatism of the film you're about to shoot. How do you how do you keep that in check and I, I, I had great fun with that, I think, actually. And, you know, with certain scenes, you may have seen it. I, I mean, it, a lot of it isn't done as well as I would have liked, and that's, that's my fault, or just or just time constraints. Mm. But, like, you know, you, you want to get certain things in there. You want to get a bit of torture in there. You want to get a bit of horror, a bit of thing, you know, and, or just some mad, silly humour. Mm. And so I kind of, I just, again, I just use my imagination. So, you know, the bacon bit in it, I thought... What, what's going to hurt but it's also insanely cheap and also that we can fake yeah, yeah, really yeah. easily I was like bacon bacon torture someone with bacon <laughs> you know because just from you know being a general nude cooker not me not really um, is that you know but you do you get that, that splash of fat on you yeah, yeah. You know, that sticks in your memory and and it's just and having I suppose having a, having a couple of kids now you kind of you worry about hot things and I thought yeah 
just sticking bacon on someone, it's, it's going to hurt a lot. But also, the, but the, the... I'd be completely sort of benign in a way, you know, it's still a kind of, it's, it's about as... Well, while somebody's prone, it's the, the cooking of bacon has an anticipation to it, because obviously, you cook bacon, that just takes time. But knowing the context of it, which is somebody who is who is vulnerable, yeah, the cooking the bacon is okay. What are the bad guys going to do? Exactly, you know, and it's so, <laughs> so. I had great fun thinking of all these things, and you know, and I knew at the very least that it would make me laugh to torture my friends with stuff. So, uh, you know, so I just kind of did that. And I also know what they're comfortable with or what they're sort of not happy to do but they will do mm. and so I thought Matt doesn't mind getting naked he's very happy to get naked and so I was like right I'm going to write that in because nudity is budget mm. you know and it's uh, it's all male na- male nakedness um, so, <laughs> male, male masturbation yeah yeah and and um, what else do I make people do you know I'm just this is you, know, you just ask, you just know about things, certain things about certain people that they're happy to do. And so Mike Shepard, again, is not a shy boy. And um, so he was happy to do certain things. And this all kind of, these kind of just... Okay, so so in a way, it's your familiarity with the cast that helps keep everything lively because you're not worrying too much about what they'll do. So therefore, if it's about two people interacting in whatever shape you decide it to be, then... It's about how you know them, not about the budget, then, is it? Because obviously, yeah. people is is not budget really. Once they're there, exactly, you know. And because we had no budget, it was about making the chemistry spark. It was about making it everything, all these interactions, exciting and cinematic, mm. and getting away with as much stupidity as I could mm. in relation to whatever was happening on screen, you know. And you know, we tried to add budget where we could. Mm. You know, we I mean we couldn't afford to go outside much. Really, um, but you know, when we did, we tried to. Really I was going to say you did though. So, and it was, it was a question that I, that I noticed when I was watching. Like, how did you? How I'm presuming you shot that at kind of some sort of twilight time, not the, not the river scene. And all yeah, that yeah, yeah, the yeah. Church. The church we did we shot before the river scene, even though even though it sort of comes after. Um, but that was all shot on the same nights, mm. and because there's nobody around. So how did you achieve that? Was that just luck or? Well, um, it's because again I know that area really well because that's okay. why I walk I walk around there all the time and so mm. I know that after a certain time of day there's no one around. I mean churchyards are always good anyway because the church gave us permission they were very nice. And um, with the river bit, it, it, there was a stretch that I knew we were prone to the odd jogger maybe, mm. and we did have to shoot around a couple of people, but I knew generally it was quiet. I knew it was mm. other, other than sorts of after school times because it's it's very popular with pushchair people. Right, me included. That's how I know about it. Got you. So, but it's not. It's but it's by the river, so it's not. You don't get a lot of people wandering back from the pub because there's not yeah. that many pubs in the area and stuff. So, other than joggers jogging late at night, it, yeah, we didn't have a lot to fear. And also, I knew realised there was no uh, police around. Um, so, <laughs> permissions, and because um, because police police can. I mean, they don't always do it, do they? But. And you're not in this. You're not in the West End, so it's not as even if police did come by, it'd be a. Yeah, I mean, we kind of stuck to the 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 rules of you know no more than six people. Don't didn't put any sticks down, that kind of stuff, which generally applies to students more than anyone. Well, yeah, but, but then you know a six a six crew set is 
is a student production. It's yeah. not. It's not Spielberg, is it? But we didn't. Yeah, but we didn't really need anyone much for the because um, we didn't need many lights. Okay. We had we had one person on the lights, I think. Um, but ultimately, we didn't need a huge amount of lights because it's a very well lit path. Mm. And digital cameras are magic now. And they? and that too. All and and so we just needed sound and camera, really, and and a bit of makeup. Well, with 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 you with with all the stuff you were shooting in the house, obviously you anyone that's ever shot on a soundstage, you've got you can remove walls, ceilings, and whatever, and and go from whatever line you want. So when you were looking at shooting your scenes in indoors, what was your conversation like with your cinematographer, um, Suzanne Smith? Yeah. Yeah. So what what were you what were you discussing there about how you were going to make that interesting? Because obviously, just putting it at the place where you've got the most room. Isn't necessarily going to get the best shot. So then, how do you keep inside a house interesting, cinematically speaking? Well, yeah, that was, that was interesting because because we a lot of the scenes had to be in the rooms that they were in. So, yeah. like, you know, there's various like lavenders and stuff. A lot of it had to be in lavenders' bedroom because mm-hmm. um, the biggest room in the house is Carlson's room, and we only don't we don't use that that much. We that's use, true. Actually. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Use it at the beginning. And then there's one other bit really, and that's and that's it. There's, there's not much kitchen. All the best, all the best part is that in the kitchen. Your film follows that rule. Yes, it's <laughs> it's true. It's, it's true indeed. And um, that's the bit where we actually had to rethink some of the stuff that we originally because originally it was all set in the kitchen. Uh huh. And so it had, you know, I don't want to give away the plot so much, but there was, mm. but both Matt and Whitney's characters were in the kitchen, and then then we decided to split it into the dining room and the kitchen. And it kind of it really opened up the scene. It really opened up kind of the. It gave us a lot of accidental dynamics, you know. Like there's the the hatch, that goes in between the two rooms, which because mm. because um, the house used to be an old doctor's surgery. Oh really? So that's actually a hatch that um, prescriptions would be given. Ah uh, okay okay. Yeah, that's one of the one of the things that I couldn't find a use for, in the house was the buzzer, in the kitchen. There's a buzzer because the kitchen used to be the doctor's surgery. Right. And the dining room used to be the waiting room. And so there's a, oh no, it used to be the reception room, sorry, mm. and upstairs with the doctor's surgery. But either way, there's a, there's a buzzer that goes, <clears throat> that um, tells people that they can come through now and stuff. And I, can't, I, couldn't, I couldn't find a use for that in the film, but I love it. Because what, what would you, what was, like, in terms of what you and Suzanne were able to achieve in terms of int- keeping it interesting as opposed to just get capturing the, the actors doing what they do? What we, what you kind of, because I think, one of the bits I was impressed with, because it's like, you're in a house, you're contained, and then you go, okay, I'm going to take take one of the most tense scenes, all right, in, in the context of a comedy, but it's still, the idea is we, we, it's, it's a tense scene, when they then lock themselves in the downstairs <laughs> toilet. So you go from being, we've got the constraints of being a normal house, and then you're going to put us in a room about as big as a post box. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't, it's... Um, it's How did you film in there? Well, we just opened the door and just did it. Really, just got on, got in as close as we could. Don't be so matter of fact about. It. I mean, honestly, like, how do you keep? Because it it didn't feel. It felt like we were in there. So, what was the discussion like about how you shoot that? I mean, it's 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 one of the few motifs that we have in the film that we kind of sort of maintain that no one really notices on. that much. But it's obviously the first scene you see in Guardians is Carlson going through Canary Wharf into these huge skyscrapers and loads of you know space yeah, yeah, expanse. Yeah. yeah. And then, then he's shown into the house, which he gets to see the outside, the inside, and he gets the, he gets the biggest room in the house. And then as the film goes on, Carlson just gets put in smaller and smaller spaces. Uh, okay, well, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I noticed the, the incremental thing, but yeah. Until literally he is in a tiny, tiny toilet and is having to face, really, all of his, uh, well, yeah, he's having to face his demons a little bit, I guess. Mm. 
Um, but shooting that, it was it was it was easy. I mean, I don't want, I'm not trying to undersell it or anything. It was it was um, just really good work from Suze. And how many takes it? Because because I remember listening to Jeremy Sonier talk about the the green room bits where you've got everyone in that one room. He said the problem though with being in one room is you've still got to get everyone's point. You've got to capture everyone's point of view because just having a camera in the fixed on the side of the wall doesn't get faces, does it? Yeah, I mean, and so it was. Yeah, we did, I, I wanted. Again, you know, as as the film goes, we kind of want to get closer in on Matt's face. Mm, okay. Because it's a good face, and it's and again, it's just about this guy being sort of faced down by his life choices. Yeah. And um, and Victoria, I think, so again, it's got a great face. They've both got really big eyes, mm. and sort of really good features for close-ups and stuff. Both quite emotion emotive without doing a lot with their face, you know. Mm. But, and and also, we kind of didn't want to focus on lavender at all. We just kind of want him to be the little puck in the background just popping up and doing stuff and sort of breaking the uh, he's literally the gooseberry isn't he, in that moment oh yeah <laughs> absolutely and it's just you know it's just kind of he gives the scene some air though as well at the same mm. time you know he kind of just breaks the uh, tension a few times um, so yeah we were just kind of just stood there can't see this obviously on a podcast but you know, clo- close up on Matt's face just right in his face and then same thing with Victoria I don't know how many takes we did in that one we kind of averaged about three takes but there's quite a lot of dialogue in that bit. I was going to say, that's the Victoria. thing about doing that a lot, yeah. And we did cut quite a bit. I cut, you know, it's, we cut quite a bit of dialogue from that whole bit as well. Mm. I mean, before shooting and and in the edit. Um, tell, tell us, tell us, not necessarily about the filmmakers, but as for, 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 tell us a story from on, on shooting the film that only someone from who was on set would, would know happened. So, in terms of the experience of shooting the movie, oh god, you know, it was it was such a it was a great it was a great fun set and it was a great sort of um, thing and and so there was no there was no drama mm. there was no kind of weird events happening really. Mm. I mean, the last night, the last shot, which is um, with Aaron Aldridge and Fiona McKinnon, who's <laughs> they're both in again not to give anything away, but in quite extravagant garb. Yeah, it's hell of a fancy dress outfit the pair yeah, were wearing. Yeah, and they're both outside on the doorstep, and that was at two o'clock in the morning. That was the last thing we shot, and um, and I guess from certain angles, Fifi may have been mildly compromised, and so that that moment where there was we we kind of lost a, a large portion of the shoot because there was a van driver. Who just basically went through? He just stopped at traffic lights, which were outside the house, and he just didn't move because he was just watching what was going on. And we didn't notice it obviously straight away that he was kind of either perving on Fifi or he was just watching us filming at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and he just he was he stayed there for must have been three or four changes of the lights, and then I think it was must have been Fred or someone went that van driver's still there. This is gonna he's either got to stay there all night or he's just destroyed our continuity massively. <laughs> and, <laughs> And so we kind of had to just kind of wave him on in the end. Also, the actual, the actual sort of, not the last shot in the film, but one of the last shots, where David runs out of the house, and they all, they all run out of the house and then separate down the street and run away from each other. Yeah. There's a guy that Whitney almost bumps into. That was, that was just a random guy who was happy to be walking past at that exact <laughs> moment. <laughs> And and fair play to him, he didn't flinch hardly at all. I mean, Whitney coming bursting out of any house at you is is always a sight. 
Mm. And uh, until <laughs> we thought we thought we were done for. We thought like either he'd been in, injured or that he or that he, we, we were going to have to mm. not be able to use the shot. But ultimately, it's, it's so far away you can't see the guys. So we didn't have to get his permission, I think. And it's just it just it's just great. It's just a great little sort of weird accident way. Yeah, I think I think if, if it's if it's not that if they're not the focus of the action, if you're just in the scene, if you're in the moment, if you film them and went, Hello, what do you do for a living? then then you'd have to have permission to use it. Yeah. Um But I was wondering about that guy, because we never we never got to talk to him, he just disappeared. And I was wanted to say, like what did you think was happening then when these three people <laughs> just burst out of a house with look of terror on their face and just you know, because he was on his phone, so he's actually his face is lit as well, and it's, it was just such a really nice weird accident. Um, well, look. So, so the other thing, the other thing that's interesting about about your film, and, and I think that comes up a lot with people that come on the podcast, is about is about getting the film seen. Um, so, you you, you know, Guardians had, had, a, had, a, had a, a sort of a touring a, a touring run at, at various cinemas. Yeah. So do you want to talk through that? Because I guess then that was self-distribution of some degree or another. Um, or yeah, was, or was I mean, that with a distributor? Mostly. Um, no, I mean, we didn't, because you don't get offered that anymore for, for films our size. I mean, okay. I don't know if you've been down the cinema recently, but there's only about four films on. And because obviously, because of 3D as well, the amount of screens available is halved. Mm. Because you've got the 2D version, the 3D version on and so Marvel or whoever is now kind of seemingly taking over all, all the cinemas. So what was your approach then to get it into cinemas? Because you did and which is to be applauded. Um, well my friends who've made various films um, they've done various different types of releases you know I mean um, some have gone through distributors and got like a really really limited run in like about six cinemas around Britain mm. for a week and Whereas, Which is a piss in the ocean, isn't it? Yeah, and my mate James, his film My Feral Heart had done amazingly well on our screen, which is, you know, I don't know if people know our screen, um, but it's, you know, where you, they have amazing deals with cinema. There's no money up front. All you've got to do is sell a certain amount of tickets. It's essentially, I mean, the, the, that's the easy way. It's crowdfunding for cinema seats. If you get to a certain level, like if you get to the certain crowdfunding point, yeah. it becomes a reality, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, so basically, if you're in a, is it only through picture? Is it through picture house? No, no, um, no. Our premiere was at the View Piccadilly, and then there's quite a lot of independent cinemas that are signed on with it as well. Like, I mean, we did the Genesis, which is was our sort of local screening, mm-hmm. and um, but picture house is seemingly like their main thing. But no, the View. Well, I think, I think they invented. Odeon, I think they invented it. I think that's the thing. I think it's their baby. Very possibly, and so they've got View, they've got Odeon, they've got loads of them. So we did the Odeon in Brighton. So for the filmmaker listening now, when you, you, you sign up to our screen and you go, I want a slot in Brighton, I want a slot in Bristol, I want a slot here, how are you, are you relying on the, the cinema to promote the fact this is there? or is there it's, some... it's different for every cinema. Like the okay. Gen- Genesis was very, very proactive in, in promoting and because they're independent cinema and they, they, mm. so they, they, they knew what we were about, whereas The View Piccadilly was less so. Mm. And... But we kind of went for that because it's West End. We wanted a West End screening, and it's Tyrone in it at Genesis. He runs, um, he runs at Genesis, doesn't he? Yeah, he's definitely into being a community cinema. Isn't absolutely, he? absolutely. And Genesis were amazing for us, and we will. We're going to have one more screening there at the end of the summer, for some time. So that, and then I mean, with the, with the View Piccadilly stuff, we we end up having two premieres, sort of. I know that's not exactly a. <laughs> you can't say that, um, but. We can have a premiere and an encore. Yeah, we can have an encore. 
um, because we, we we sold out like in four hours accidentally. We had no idea, but I, I was absolutely proud of myself that we wouldn't sell the the allotted amount that we needed to mm. to confirm the screening, um, which I think was forty seven. We had sold forty seven tickets. Yeah, that makes sense. And the Victoria's like, don't worry, we'll sell, we'll sell, we'll be good. And then we did. We sold out the the whole cinema in four hours. So they upgraded us and gave us an extra 35 seats. You now become the view's friend. <laughs> yeah. And so, but then we were like, we sold that out as well. Wow. Like really quickly. So then, so I've sat there, everyone down, and I was like, all right, I know I was a bit negative before, but. Yeah. World well, domination now. But I've got so many messages saying, um, is there any other more tickets? So, you know, there was like, I don't know, it was 20, 30 people asking. I was like, I reckon we can pass the threshold to confirm it for a second screening. Mm. So if you, if you, do you fancy that? <laughs> you know, everyone's like, yeah, why not? Until we did, we sold, and we sold that one out as well. And and then, so so then we brought, the Genesis screening was meant to happen just before Can. So this is all November. Mm. And so we, all of a sudden, our plans had gone out the window a bit and we'd kind of like, oh God, just try try and maintain some heat here. So we brought the Genesis screening forward six months and and did it essentially the Saturday after of where we, we pretty much almost sold out. It was it was So what was happening there then? What was your fair win that was getting you well so you got you've got friends friends of the people in the film and stuff. That's that's a limited number. That's not gonna fill a cinema out. No, I mean so obviously I, I you're was, talking I about I was very surprised and I don't know who half of them were. I mean there was you know, we've got a lot of popular people in the cast and stuff. Mm. I mean, you know, Whitney doesn't want for friends and Mike's a very popular person and you know, all my family and stuff came down and so I think if it was just the one screening, then you could say family and friends. Yeah, yeah, no, two, that two's not that, is it? Two's not that and then three, which yeah, and then we also saw that Brighton. Um, so that I don't know. It's it's I, I couldn't really say. I mean, we 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 promoted it like an absolute yeah. bastard. We did as best we could. We went to London live, and we got a bit of again some podcasty stuff, and we got flyers done old school, and just put it around. And we just invented, you know, invited every single person you could. I think. I mean, I didn't spend anything on Facebook advertising, but Whitney Whitney did. I think he he spent about a tenner. Yeah. And yeah, just all, it all came together really nicely, you know. I mean, it hasn't always been the case. I mean, we've been doing it for, well, what now, like eight months. And so we've had some bad screenings, you know. We've yeah, had yeah. almost, you know, no one turn up. And we've also had, I mean, but generally it's been great. And so, you know, from, from, from that, it did, it, did, it did give us a bit of a, a boost from a profile point of view. And so we've got a couple of offers from other cinemas. Excellent. Outside of our screen, saying, "Can we show your film?" and that was nice. And then, because our short films have done so many festivals um, around, and we're good festival people. Yeah, yeah. We, we we do a good festival. We yeah, yeah. You can have a pint and a laugh. Yeah, we're good at that. Yeah. And so we had a lot of festivals that were very, and even short film festivals who wanted us to come back and show Guardians. So I got yeah, I got a lot of nice screenings from that. You know, we just did one last weekend in Basingstoke. Okay. The, the, give a shout out to the Exit Six Film Festival, which is a, is a short film festival, right? But it is one of the best I've ever been to, and because the quality of film, the quality of people, the organisation, fantastic. And again, they just they said we want to see. We want. We well, want let's, I mean, let's, let's 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 focus that point for a second then, because I think I think for filmmakers listening, there's there's a there's there's one thing to have a film that people want to watch. Uh, that's obviously that's the prerequisite, but actually, there's 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 years of hard work. 
and having a nice time of a drink, but but building relationships with people, which mean which is what is paying off there, isn't it? It's like it's not just about yeah. we like your film because that's that's kind of like the bit of, that's the thing that's the, that's the low threshold is it's a film people want to watch, but actually do want to show Mark's film. They go then they go okay, Mark's a good lad. We know Mark, people with Mark are good people. And all that kind of stuff, that becomes as much of a magnet as the film, doesn't it? If you've yeah. established those relationships. I mean, because it's not a money-making venture, any of, of these course. things. I mean, putting things in the cinema doesn't make anyone any money. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of effort, a lot of time. So it's, it is kind of... It's, I mean, I, I, I put this film down to just working like a bastard for 15 years. And so, you know, from the beginning of it, from getting the cast and the crew, is from working, doing 50 plays in the theatre with the same people, with doing 17 short films with mm. some of the crew and some of the people. And then, you know, and just have A 15 year overnight sensation, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> no, it's, it's true though. I think the it's old true. cliche. And, it's true though. And so, you know, you, you develop these relationships over time. And, and, you know, I made a concerted effort with my last two shorts to go to as many festivals as I could. Mm -hmm. um, because I knew in some form that feature film was on the horizon, whether I'd just written it or whether I was going to direct it. And ultimately I directed it because I just wanted to get it done. And so, you know, we, we, we went to America to festivals. We went to all these... We went to a festival I've been to before. That's we, right, yeah, we, yeah. We, we share, we share uh, friendships in New Orleans, don't we? Yeah, shout out to uh, New Orleans folk, JT and Chuck and Laura and everybody. Hello. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, that was a great festival. And, and again, they, like, they, they were brilliant people. They were like, we want to see your film. I'll say it's not a horror. Mm. So... You know. there's, but there's genre tropes in your film, so there's, oh, yeah, there's yeah, enough yeah. in there. It's not a straight-out comedy. Yeah, so our first review was from Gruesome Magazine, so, you know... We, yeah, yeah, yeah. People, if they want to see it, it's there to be seen, the horror, you know. And well, look, one last thing then. So for those that... So you, you've already mentioned there that there's other screens to come, so what we'll do is we'll put a link in the show notes to whatever your official website is. But for now, if someone wants to watch it after they listen to this podcast um, and, and, and view it through some VOD platform or, or whatever... How can they see the film? Um, well, they can't on VOD yet because we are still taking all those little meetings and stuff. We are talking okay. to quite a few people um, over here in the US about that. And so we're just trying to find the best deal for us and we're trying to get some people to watch it, you know. It's a, it's, it's a weird thing. This has been a really big, weird experience because I don't know much about distribution all that kind of stuff. I mean, rather, I, it's not my, I'm not a producer. I'm a, I'm a director, you know. Mm. But we've had to do a lot of this ourselves. And so it's a so you're producing by default. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But what what's, we realised is that the distribution industry is also learning because they are all changing. It, you know, because VOD has just taken over the whole universe. So cinema and DVD and Blu-ray don't really exist for anything anymore. Like for films coming out of, of our size anyway. And so we've been offered certain things by certain people and certain things by other people and certain companies are, are starting up and are really keen on taking on new films like mm. mine. But at the same time, I've seen so many companies go under in the first year or two that, you know, do I want to sign on with a brand new company who are probably going to treat me really nicely but may disappear. Yeah, yeah. Kind of so there's huge amounts of decisions that I've kind of thrown them... To, you know, um, without, I mean, not to name names, but in terms of... I presume these are exclusive deals that you're looking to sign. Um, or non-exclusive. Some of them are, some of them aren't. You know, it depends because I, again, this is a, a because of the wide expanse of VOD. Yeah. That you know, like I've been sent lists of platforms that are available that these companies have have deals with, and it's even talking like you know two hundred. Yeah, because the one thing that I learned 
Berlin this year is that because of the, the physical market, obviously paid for VOD mm. is much more important to a film's life cycle than subscription VOD because subscription VOD is a one-off sale, yeah. whereas PVOD could be popular, therefore exactly, exactly. repeat sales is, and, and is again, like selling DVDs, isn't it? This is a lot of the conversations that I have is, is strategy mm. of, you know, what, what's their strategy? Is it going to go straight to SVOD? As they say, indeed they do. Or is it? Actually, I can't stand that. It's silly. <laughs> and and it's because it sounds like a Doctor Who character or something, doesn't it? And um, or a planet we should visit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll <laughs> see you on Svod and Solo. And so you know, it's like it's their their strategy and and their capabilities of of kind of adhering to that strategy. So the the ideal strategy, obviously, is to go to like Sky Store and things first and do all the the paid stuff. Mm. And you know, hotels, airplanes, and stuff like that. Hotels and stuff we got. Yeah, 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 sure. And um, and then going on to other things, Netflix, etc., etc. So it's it's just it's I'm still kind of feeling my way through it really, and because I've been. But you're not the only one. Let's be honest. I mean, you say the people setting the deals up are also trying to work out. Exactly, it does feel like a lot of people, you know, feeling their way through the dark at the moment. And okay, well, well, good luck with that. Um, and we'll like I said, we'll put the show note. We'll put a link in the show notes. So if anyone can keep up to date with you guys. We'll put Twitters in and stuff so people can yeah. follow you that way. And any screenings that come up, they, you'll announce that, I guess, on Twitter or Facebook. Or oh, yes, we're good at that. We're good at, we're good at announcing. All right. Well, look, thanks very much for your time on the BritFlix podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. The BritFlix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. The music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.